Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Book Burners, Episode 16. Four. Manchu and Liam exited the taxi in front of Sunrise Hospital and Medical Center on South Maryland Parkway. Manchu in his usual priest's garb, Liam in the black deacon shirt he wore if he needed to visit a place where priests were more welcome than brawlers. Manchu squinted up at the hospital. What did you say was Kyo's room number? He's still in the ER, according to their database, said Liam, checking the cached info on his laptop. He can stay there, Manchu said. He's a risk to the other patients. I can move him up in the queue, Liam said. I just need an internet connection. This is America, there must be a Starbucks around here. Do it, Manchu said. That diner across the street says free Wi-Fi. They sat over coffee and watched the triage program as Kiel moved up in the queue, then was taken to an ER station and diagnosed with a cardiac incident. By their third cup of coffee, he'd been admitted. Room 350. Let's go, Manchu said, leaving money on the table. Manchu signed himself and Liam into the hospital registry, showing his Vatican ID to an impressed receptionist who seemed embarrassed to tell him she was a Baptist, but she told them anyway. They found room 350 and peeked in. A nurse was settling Kyo, who looked to be about 50, in with his monitors. She turned when they entered. Visiting hours are over, father, she said. I don't think anyone called for you. He'll be fine. She gave a friendly smile to the man in bed, who looked drawn and afraid. I'm with the Vatican, and I need to ask Mr. Kyo some questions of importance to the church, Manchu said. The nurse looked startled, but after a quick check of a list, nodded and left the room. Manchu made the sign of the cross and sat down next to the bed. Liam took up a post at the door. Mr. Kyo, I'm Father Manchu of the Vatican. That's Brother Liam. Why are you here? I'm not Catholic, Kyo said, his voice faint. That doesn't mean you're not in danger, Manchu said. Kyo lifted a hand with an IB in it and dropped it weakly back to the bed. Do not minister to me. 
I have seen enough of your meddling in my own country. I'm not here for ministry, Manchu said. We believe you are sick because of a tattoo you received from the Ink Stains reality show. Impossible, said the man. That was months ago. And this isn't a skin infection. It's my heart and too much fried food. Father, Liam said softly. He had opened his laptop and was staring at the screen. Police reports are coming in that the other clients from episode six are dying. A heart attack, a dog mauling, drug overdose. Manchu looked at Keo's heart monitor. It beat regularly at 70 beats per minute. How are you feeling now? Manchu asked. Better than I was, actually. They gave me nitroglycerin. What is this about? What tattoo did you get on the show? Manchu asked. He knew the answer, but didn't want to disturb the man. Kyo sat up with little effort and gestured with his non-IV hand to the back of his neck. Manchu opened the hospital gown. The tattoo looked as it had on the television footage Liam had showed him, except now it was bright red instead of black. What does the tattoo mean? He asked, gesturing for Liam to come and see. The Irishman swore softly. It's an old symbol, a protection against evil spirits, Keo said. Is something wrong? What color did you ink it? All of your other tattoos are black. Yes, black, Keo said, frowning. They're all black. Liam stepped back as the tattoo glowed brighter. Mr. Keo twitched, looking over his shoulder. What's the matter? It's starting to burn. What do you see? I wish Grace were here, Liam said. Call Sal, Manchu said. Sal and Grace were sipping sodas at a bar in the grand sprawl of Caesar's Palace when Sal's cell vibrated. It was Liam. Get here ASAP, Sunrise Hospital, room 350. Bring G. Shit, she said. Something's going down at the hospital. It was only 10 o'clock. They had an hour to wait for Mama Pat. Too long. Sal paid the tab and they ran for a taxi. Late night on the strip was not the time to get anywhere quickly, but after a $10 tip to the driver, they were whizzing down side streets. They reached the hospital five minutes after Liam's text. The hospital receptionist paid much less attention to Sal's badge than the admin at Babyface, and Sal and Grace took the steps to the third floor. Clambering up the stairs, they passed a night nurse having a hushed, tense conversation on her cell phone. She barely paid them any attention. Sal's buzzed as they opened the door to the third floor. Liam, one word. Scalpel. Sal stopped short. She didn't think hospitals kept scalpels just sitting out for anyone to grab. The night nurse had been careless to leave her post for the phone call, but hadn't left any sharp instruments out. Do you have a knife? She asked Grace. Of course, Grace said. They got to room 350, which was the only door closed on the floor. They opened it to chaos. Liam was sitting astride a man who lay face down on the bed, screaming into a pillow. Manchu was praying while pressing on the man's back with both hands. His pressing didn't seem to help. Something black ballooned from the man's skin like a huge bubble about to burst. It thrashed, swelling around Manchu's hand, relaxing and pulsing back with more force. Did you bring something sharp? Called Liam. Grace ran forward with the knife. Cut it out carefully before it kills him. Manchu leaned away, his hand still on the man's back. Cut what out? Sal said, shouldn't we know? Before she could finish, Grace slid her knife along the membrane and something burst out, spraying black goo. It flailed on the floor, a childlike horror made of ink. 
It reminded Sal of a monkey crossed with an octopus, throwing tentacles about that tried to wrap around the chair leg, Manchu's cassock, and Sal's ankle. Its grip was weak, and it called plaintively, its mouth full of sharp teeth, its eyes red. Grace impaled it on her knife, then cut its head off. Everyone all right? Grace asked, and they all murmured some level of agreement. Liam, Grace, and Manchu relaxed, panting. Sal kicked the limp tentacle off her foot, shuddering. The man on the bed ceased struggling and relaxed, his eyes closing. The wound on his back, a cut, rather than the ragged hole that likely would have been there had they not arrived to give the demon an assisted birth, ran black, threaded through with red traces, until finally the discharge looked like regular blood. Manchu shifted Kang Kyo's head to the side so he wouldn't suffocate and reattached the heart rate monitor. His pulse was swift but slowing, his breathing settling into something like sleep. Manchu opened a drawer in the bedside table, found some gauze, and pressed it on the wound. Without being prompted, Liam brought him a wet washcloth from the bathroom. Manchu cleaned away the blood and black goo. The tattoo is gone, said Liam. It served its purpose, Manchu said grimly. The others won't have been so lucky. What the hell happened? Sal asked as they tried to clean up. The black goo that splattered them was thin and odorless, but it stained their clothes. It's ink. Liam said, rubbing his fingers together. The time came for the sixth episode, people to die, Manchu said, continuing to clean Kyo. But this man received an ancient protection tattoo on the show, and that saved him. From the looks of it, a demon was implanted in the tattoo. But unlike with the other victims, it was not allowed to fester and rot and consume the life force from within. It stayed in the tattoo, finally trying to escape the only way it could. Sal towed the body on the floor, which was already melting. She was reminded of the movie Gremlins. What was it? Manchu knelt beside it, taking a picture with an old-fashioned film-loaded camera. I don't know. I've not seen anything like this before. I'll send a picture to Asante. If you can find somewhere that develops film, Liam said, snorting. They cleaned out most of the ink before the night nurse burst in on them, face flaming with what Sal suspected was shame, as well as rage. Mr. Kyo's heart monitor was interrupted. What, what happened here? She asked, eyes going wide as she rushed to Mr. Kyo's side, checking his vitals. Sal flashed her badge, and Menchu and Liam showed their collars. We needed to ask Mr. Kyo some time-sensitive questions, but damn it, my fountain pen exploded when I was trying to get a statement. I used the old kind with a bottle of ink. Used to think it was quaint. We are so sorry for the mess. We tried to clean up as much as we could. After she had determined that Mr. Kyo was fine, albeit ink-stained, the nurse glared at them. I am going to get the janitor. I want you gone when I get back, or I'm calling security. She glanced at Menchu. Even on you, father. Menchu nodded graciously. We'll be but a moment longer. Mr. Kyo was stirring now and watching them all with bleary eyes. He remembered very little, even as Menchu talked him through his experience. Do you remember anything from your tattooing process? Menchu asked. Anything at all about your tattoo artist or the showrunners, anyone? I found the show atmosphere very strange, but I had meant to get a nine spire before I left Cambodia and got too busy. I get a new protective tattoo every time I travel. It was a spur of the moment decision to get it on the show, Kyo said. 
Why did you ask about the color? Then she wrote Liam's cell phone number down on a notepad by the bed. Your tattoo is gone, Mr. Kyo. I believe it did its job admirably, protecting you exactly as it was meant to do. You're a lucky, lucky man. If you have any more problems with your tattoos, call this number. Brother Liam will be happy to hear from you. Liam didn't look happy at all, but Mr. Keel wasn't looking at him. You believe in my tattoos? Aren't you going to lecture me about my blasphemous ways? Mr. Keel said, his voice tired. Menchu smiled his priestly calm smile. Sal knew by now how many emotions that smile could hide. I have seen enough in my life to know that God works in various ways. You believe your God made my tattoos protective? Kyo said. It doesn't matter what I believe, Mr. Kyo. You are alive, and I hope you stay that way for many years. Go forth, be kind to others, and God will sort us all out when we're done with this mortal world. Menchu rose and made the sign of the cross by the bed. Liam and Grace crossed themselves automatically. Kyo touched his neck. It's gone? Menchu unbuttoned the top of Kyo's hospital gown. The cut had healed, and the skin where the tattoo had rested was white and smooth. He'd left a memory behind. Get well soon, Mr. Kyo. And Menchu gestured the others to leave. The group went to the Denny's across from the hospital. They took a booth, Liam and Menchu facing away from the door, and Sal and Grace on the other side. Menchu sighed and ran his hand through his graying hair. We saved one of what, six? He looked at Liam, who nodded. How long before the next group? Two days, Sal said, checking her notebook. It had, she noticed, soaked up a lot of the demon blood ink. She made a face. Grace's copy of the remains of the day was also ruined. She fanned the pages and dabbed at it with a napkin. She left her new books in the taxi, she had been dismayed to realize after the excitement at the hospital. The waitress came to their table with her notepad ready. Menchu ordered coffees all around. I've had enough caffeine, Sal began, but stopped when the door to Denny's opened. Her eyes grew wide. Never mind, coffee, yeah. Menchu looked up. What's going on? But by then, the very large woman had reached the table. All right, what do you want with Mama Tat? I've had my share of stalkers, Mama Tat said, leaning back in the chair the waitress had added to their booth. Comes with the reality show territory. In person, she was bigger than she looked on the show, tall and broad and muscular, her arms featuring those creepy baby tattoos. She grinned at them, completely unthreatened by the dirty, exhausted strangers in front of her. I finally decided to turn the tables and stalk them back, she continued. My admin tells them where I'll be so I can get a look. I told you when you left the parlor, but we wondered why you left early for the hospital. I thought it was too easy to meet up with you, Sal said. When we followed you to the hospital, we saw you were visiting that nice Mr. Kyo. So I just wanted to straight up ask you. Mama Tat leaned forward, staring at Sal. What do you want? With Mama Tat. Sal glanced at Menchu, who nodded. She took a deep breath. Every person who has gotten a tattoo from your show up to episode six has died. They all died in different ways, and many died at home, so only a few people have connected the accidents to the show. The color drained from Mama Tat's face. All of? How do you know? 
We have spiders crawling databases to find connections between people, Liam offered. People usually back down when offered answers of a technological nature they didn't understand, and Mama Tat seemed satisfied with the lie. And who are we, exactly, she asked. We are a group of people affiliated with law enforcement and the Catholic Church investigating uh, strange coincidences, Menchu said. We acquired the data from the unaired show and noticed that you had given Mr. Kyo a protective tattoo. Mama Tat nodded, looking both stricken and wary. I did, she said. Listen, do I need my lawyer? Sal held up her badge. NYPD, I have no jurisdiction here. We're just looking for information. And we are pretty sure that you saved him with that protective tattoo. He's the only one from the sixth episode to survive. Manchu leaned forward. Do you know of anyone on the show who would have had reason to do this or the capability? Mama Tat snorted. Didn't you notice that squirrely little bastard, Gardner? He was on my back from day one. I'm sure he has something to do with it. What was his difficulty, Menchu said. You don't seem very unlikable. Mama Tack grimaced. He didn't approve of me. Something about me was supposed to be revealed in episode seven. This wasn't my first reality show. Sal glanced around the table. I'm the only American here, Mama, and I don't watch a lot of TV. You'll have to help us out. Mama Tat took a deep breath. About seven years ago, I was on the second season of Acceptance. The queer reality show, like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, only reality style. Sal remembered the show. Season two was the transgender-focused season. So Gardner wanted to out you, she asked. Mama Tat laughed. Not quiet. The show was gonna out me. They figured it would bring in some old acceptance fans when we had a mid-season slump. I won the whole thing, see, and made a new life for myself with the winnings. Changed my name and came out here to Vegas. I started getting inked with all my babies. Didn't want them to think I'd forgotten them, even though they forgot about me. She smiled sadly and touched the head on her shoulder that was labeled with Brian. After about three tats, I was hooked and wanted to learn the craft. Grace, Menchu, and Liam all looked stunned. Liam opened his mouth and Sal kicked him sharply. So uh, what does this have to do with Gardner? He didn't like that I had an itch, that I would have a new massive fan following come mid-season, and he didn't approve. He's one of those religious assholes who think people like me are an abomination. She raised large hands for air quotes. She glanced at Father Manchu. No offense, man, father, if you're not one of those assholes. Manchu nodded once, none taken. Mama Tat took a long drink of coffee and poured herself another cup, adding whiskey from a flask she carried in her purse. I offended his orderly view of the world, he said. Said he didn't believe in me, like I was Santa Claus or something. So I got him back. You threatened him? Sal asked. I don't threaten, Mama Tat said. One night after the third episode, I sat on his back and tattooed a gadfly on his forearm. He left me alone after that. Did you know he didn't have any tattoos before the one I gave him? What kind of freak is that? She took another sip of coffee and sighed. Anyway, for the last show, we had to tattoo each other, and as a peace offering, I turned the fly into a rose, considering the little bastard likes plants so much. So he has an orderly view of the world and might be putting something evil into the ink. Why did he need to be on television? Sal asked. 
Mama Tat snorted. Money and fame, honey. Why else do it? Manchu sighed. Of course, the bigger he got, the more people he could tattoo and infect. It's all about quantity. What tattoo did he give you? Grace asked, leaning forward. Sal went cold. Mama Tat was likely on the same clock as everyone else on the show. She tried not to show her anxiety. Mama Tat pulled her tank top strap down and showed them her shoulder. Asshole gave me a snail, male and female parts, you know. Thought he was being clever. It was a work of art with blues and greens and small hints of pink in the shell. The snail glistened, if not attractively, at least realistically, with slime, and it sat atop a purple mushroom that resembled a parasol. So, what's this about people dying? Mama Tat asked. Her voice was light, but Sal could hear the tension underneath. People are dying four months after their tattoo, Sal said. The people from episode six are dying right now. We were able to help Mr. Keo, but the others are tourists, all of them back home already. We're trying to figure this out before any more die. Including me, Mama Tat said. In two weeks, they filmed the last few episodes days apart. Probably you, Sal said. There's the chance you're safe, because we assume if Gardner was polluting the ink, he would have wanted to protect himself, but we can't be sure. We'll stop him tonight, one way or the other. Then I had better get my drink in while I can, Mama Tat said, rising to leave. Thanks for being the most interesting stalkers I've ever had. Mama Tat, Sal asked, who won the show? I can't tell you that, she said, winking. Even though the show was canceled, you should see those contracts they make us sign. Maybe that ink was cursed as well. Sal thanked Mama Tat and picked up the tab for her coffee. Mama Tat laid a business card on the table as she got up to leave. You ever need any ink, you show that to Miss Press at the front desk. She'll get you in to see me that night. And if you need to ask me anything else, or tell me you've taken that little bastard in for something, just call that number. One moment, Mama Tat, Menchu said, holding his hand up to stop her from leaving. You seem to be taking this all in stride, even the part about your tattoo saving this man's life. Most people we discuss our work with call us insane at best. Mama Tad avoided his gaze. I knew about some of the deaths. I knew about my clients and gardeners. I kept in touch with a few of them, and after three died, I started getting scared. I just didn't know it was everyone. Also, I don't have to go far to believe this shit is magical. Her hand went to the snail on her shoulder. You folks go on and stuff that little asshole, okay? I'd really hate to stop living right now. There's so much out there to live for. She winked again at Sal, then ambled away. Sal did a quick image search on her phone. She found what she was looking for. That mushroom the snail was on, it's deadly. Causes liver failure in a few weeks. That guy is all about the symbolism, she said. And Mama Tat is a man, Liam said. She's a woman, Sal said. And that isn't important, except as it pertains to why Gardner hates her. Liam shrugged, still looking uncomfortable. Oh, get over it, Liam, Sal said, sighing. Let's focus on the problem at hand, Manchu said mildly. We find Gardner tonight and stop these deaths. Or get Mama Ta to ink that spire thing on everyone who's left, Sal suggested. It's too late for protection, Grace said, a touch of flat bitterness in her voice. The damage has already been done. Right. Sal said. So let's go find Gardner and undo it.
We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. If Mama Tat's baby face had looked like a tattoo parlor and nightclub, Gardner's shop, Ink Seeds, resembled a morgue. A freestanding building on the outskirts of town with no windows and very little signage, and yet the parking lot was full. This place is messed up, Sal said as they exited the cab. Liam stepped ahead of Sal. Let me take point on this one. I have an idea how these things work, he said. Sal shrugged and stepped back. The door was locked. Liam knocked and the door opened a crack. Got an appointment? The accent sounded Mexican and male. No, mate, Liam said. I have a message from Mama Tat. The door opened wider. A man with black vines tattooed all over his face looked out. What is the message? Liam crossed his thick arms, making all of his ink noticeable. As for Gardner only. She says it's about the gadfly. The door slammed. Liam held up a finger to the rest of them, and a minute later, the door opened. The interior looked nothing like Mama Tat's place either. Sal wondered if it really had been a morgue once or a funeral parlor. The walls and furniture were drab and understated, as if the whole building mourned something lost. The customers looked like they were in a waiting room for an STD clinic, jumpy and scared. Many of them had what looked like fresh tattoos on their arms, necks, and faces. Those with newer tattoos had an unnatural pallor to their skin, ranging from stark white to ashy gray and they sat listless on their vinyl chairs. There was no front desk, no cash register, and no health inspection placard on the wall. Creepy place, Sal muttered to Liam. This isn't normal, he said. The vine man bowed mockingly and led them through a door. Gardener will see you immediately, he said. Does it feel demonic here? Sal asked Grace, her voice low. Grace nodded once, a sharp movement of her head. Fists clenched. 
Grace followed the man down the dimly lit hallway. He led them to a small room with a chair, a sink, several tubes of black ink, no other color, and blank walls. Gardner sat in a rolling stool, latex gloves on, tattooing a woman's forearm. Every few seconds, he would dip the gun into a bucket of viscous ink at his feet. He didn't look up when they entered. Welcome, Gardner said. What are you looking for tonight, a rose, a forest, a seedling just breaking through the soil? I hear your walk-ins, but you come from a friend, so you are, of course, welcome. He wiped away the ink on the woman's arm, a demonic face peeking out from underneath the skin, and told her to take a break. She obediently went to the wall, slid down it to sit on the floor, and began to weep. He was smaller than he looked on television, with the same type of wrist-length shirt and long pants. His hair was slicked back, and he looked as if he had just come from Dress Down Friday at an accounting firm. Mr. Gardner, we are looking into the deaths of the people on the show Inkstains, Manchu began. Gardner looked up and took them in, still stained with the demon's ink. His nostrils flared, and he sprang to his feet, dropping the tattoo gun. I can smell it. I can see it on you. My beautiful baby's ink. It died tonight. It died. I planted its seed, and it failed to grow because of that unnatural bitch. He took a step forward, his hands curling into claws. I felt it die. I didn't think its murderers would deliver themselves. Gray stepped in front of Menchu, shielding him. We just want to talk, said Sal, stepping forward, but then Gardner attacked. Before, Sal would have said that Gardner was so slight a stiff breeze could stop him. But of course, she didn't take into account whatever was possessing him, nor what was apparently secreted away under his skin. His perfectly pressed shirt ripped away as inky black wings burst from his back, changing quickly to tentacles, which struck Grace aside. She went crashing into the tubes of ink, spilling one. When it hit the floor, it began to bubble and stream out, seeking something. Grace swore and held her arm. The skin was red and blistered where the tentacle touched her. Don't touch the ink, she said and was on her feet again. Liam, let's get that client out of here, Menchu said. So, shut this down. He and Liam picked up the woman and ran toward the hall, Liam yelling as a tentacle lashed his back, leaving a smoking black wound. Grace had her knife out, and Gardner picked up the tattoo gun, which whirred to life. Sal's eyes darted around the room, looking for the source, the book, whatever drove this possession. A tentacle struck out again. Grace avoided one, but another wrapped around her forearm. It picked her up, and she writhed in pain. Sal threw the rolling stool into Gardner's face. He stumbled back and dropped Grace. She was on her feet in an instant, running for the man. Gardner's nose bled black fluid like the abomination from Keo's back. Sal searched the room frantically and saw a cabinet with drawers. One drawer was open. She ran for it. Inside lay a book. Behind her, Grace and Gardner fought, his acid scouring her arms and face, even as she struck at him, batting aside the tendrils that sprung from his back. She turned at a shout. Liam had returned to help and was yelling to distract Gardner. Find it in a hurry, Sal. Grace needs some help, he said, then stumbled over the bucket of ink, tipping it toward Gardner. The ink splashed up with much more energy than any normal liquid would have done, splattering both Gardner and Grace. Immediately, tendrils began burrowing into their skin, smoke rising from their bodies. This was not the ink Gardner had used in the show, Sal realized. This stuff was much, much worse. Liam regained his balance, horrified, to wrest Grace away from Gardner. She kicked Gardner, who fell backward and released her. 
Liam pulled her to the side, said something to her, then ran back to face Gardner. Grace stood panting for a moment and then joined him. Damn it, Grace, I said I could handle this, he shouted, his attention divided and Gardner struck. The tattoo gun slid across Liam's shoulder, a line of black cutting into his skin. He screamed. Sal knew she had to figure out how to close the book and fast. She pulled the book out easily, but closing it did nothing. She flipped the heavy pages with the tips of her fingers and saw that the ink glistened wetly on each page as if new, and the pages varied from light peach to deep brown. Human skin. The words started to speak to her, encouraging her to read the book aloud to unlock what was inside. A tap at her calf distracted her, and she looked down, breaking the hold of the words. The tattoo gun cord was bumping against her leg as Gardner fought with it. Well, hell, that's easy. Sal muttered and yanked the cord to grab the gun from Gardner. He didn't expect to pull on his weapon and dropped it. Grace punched him hard, then kicked him in the face when he went down. He didn't move again. Sal took the moment to pick up the tattoo gun and began slashing through the skin pages, cutting the words with ink until they became illegible. Screams erupted from the waiting room, and the tentacles on Gardner's back rose high, agitated, and fell down in a torrent of ink. His scream sounded as if it came from something other than the man himself, something higher or older or weirder. Ink leaked from his eyes and mouth and nose. When Sal was done with the book, he had bled out. Ink was everywhere, and the floor had stopped hissing. She closed the book and unplugged the tattoo gun. Sal hadn't seen Liam since they'd returned to Rome. He'd been silent on the trip back mostly sleeping or brooding. She had texted him a few times without an answer. Sal finally figured she would ask Manchu if Liam was all right. Manchu's door was cracked and Sal heard voices. She positioned herself outside the door, flat against the wall. She heard weeping. Manchu said something in Latin that sounded like a prayer, then, Liam, child of God, you are forgiven your sins and are free of the gardener's taint. The book holds no more power. I'm broken, father. I have been since you found me. And Las Vegas just made it worse. I won't ever be free of this fear, he said, his voice thick. I am a sinner. I summoned a demon. And then we saved you. And you found Christ, repented, and were forgiven. Manchu interrupted patiently. Your years since then have changed you. I lost two years. Father, I woke up when you found me in that closet, tangled in wires and chanting. What if whatever did that to me is still here? What if that damn tattoo artist put something else inside me? Sal peered through the crack in the door. Liam knelt shirtless at Menchu's feet. The ink from Gardner's attack had drained out after Sal had destroyed the book, leaving a small white scar. Liam's skin was red and irritated. Long scratches crossed the white mark as if he'd tried to tear it from his skin with his own fingernails. I can't, father. I can't have another one in me. I'm not strong enough, he said, slumping against Menchu's bed. And you don't, Liam. You weren't carrying a demon when we found you. You were its tool, not its vessel. And now we've confirmed that Gardner's death and the confiscation of his weapon Freed everyone he infected, including you. You belong to yourself and to God. You are a warrior of Christ. You'll be fine. Go and get some sleep. 
Sal had heard enough. She left them talking and went to help Grace remove the bandages that had covered her burns. Did you tell Mama Tad she's safe now? Grace asked as Sal tended her wounds. Yeah, Sal said. She offered me a free tattoo, but I didn't really feel like one after all that. I kept her card, though. What do you think will make you change your mind? Grace asked. Who knows? A lot of things happened to change my mind on a variety of things just in the past week. She tossed the last bandages into the trash, stretched, and yawned. I'm heading home before Menchu can find another crisis. I need some sleep. I'll see you later. When Liam called Sal later and asked her to come over, she wasn't surprised. You were right, he said flatly when she reached his apartment. I can't do this anymore. Sal crossed her arms. She wanted to argue, but she couldn't do that to him now. So that's it? I am a weak man, Sal. Weaker than you deserve. I'll have to find out who I am before I give myself to someone else. It hurt more than she expected. And you have to do this alone? No help along the way? No, he said. What happened in Nevada? He raised his right hand as if about to pull back his sleeve and show her, then dropped it again. I can't. It's not you, it's me, Sal said. She stood. If working with this team has taught me anything, Liam, it's that we all need someone to cover our backs. If you want to figure out this weak man crap alone, fine. But your team would be here. Your friends would be here. She wanted to go further, but she didn't know what to call herself. Finally, she said, I would be here if you asked. He closed his eyes and shook his head. Sal got her coat and left and closed the door softly behind her. Liam wasn't only damning himself to solitude, she realized. He had been her closest friend on this continent. Now she was alone, too. Again. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. It just feels like the setup for a joke, you know? Three superheroes walk into an elevator. Now do you understand, Manny? We're in an elevator. An ancient Mayan elevator. You'd think, since it's a hotel, she'd have been killed in her room, right? Classic setup. That's what you'd expect, but no. She was killed in the elevator. There is a dead man in this elevator. Oh my God, what are we? Someone Dies in This Elevator is a spoiler-driven anthology series where there is always an elevator and someone always dies in it, but everything else is different. Find out more at sditepod.com. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith and additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. 
Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Bookburners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.